If you are in a place of grieving, a loved one who is slowly dying or who recently died or a sickness that seems to never leave, if you are in this place, let me give you this encouragement. It's okay to hurt. And it's okay to pray fervently that God would change it. And it's okay to pour your hurt out upon others, not hurting them on purpose, but sharing your burden with them and say, I don't know how to get out of bed in the morning. I don't know what to do next. And if somebody shares their burden with you, it's okay to not have answers and to simply say, this hurts. And be present with them. And while we don't have a cave to go back to, and while cemeteries may or may not today bring us the same comfort and peace, we do have a place to go and to sit and to be in our grief. It's here at the foot of the cross, the foot of the place where God himself bore our pain, took our suffering, entered into death, so that one day, all of his promises may come true. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I don't remember if this was said earlier, so if it was, forgive me. If it wasn't, here you go. Uh, When we say come as you are, we mean that kids can come as they are, and we believe it's important that children are a part of our worship together. And so on the second Sunday every month, we include them here in the service. And if you are a mom or a dad, probably better a mom, though, for privacy's sake, uh, who has really little children uh, that maybe you're still nursing, uh, if you at any point today need to step away, you're welcome to do that in here. But if you would prefer the privacy, we have a mother's room just through this door here, and you're welcome to go in there um, if you need it. But otherwise, let your kids cry because that means they're here, and that's great. So, Not because they're hungry, like feed them, but let them cry because they're kids. Anyway, I'm digging a hole. I'll move on. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. We, during the season of Lent, are in this series, The Sting of Death, and we are looking at different times where we see death in Scripture, but not applying it just to death specifically. But all of our sorrow, all of our suffering, all of our pain, how do we as Christians grieve when death is all around us? When sorrow persists, how do we come before God in our pain, in our anguish, in our hurts, and even all of our longing. And so today, as we look at death, we're going to talk specifically about how do we grieve and hold on to hope when death is persistently delayed. 
And here's what I mean by that. When you watch a loved one slowly die because of dementia, when you love someone deeply and watch them fade away because of cancer, and that length of time before they die seems to just keep going on, how do you grieve while you're still awaiting death? What hasn't yet come to pass? And like I said, this isn't just death. When you are in that place of long-awaited suffering, a chronic illness or pain that you cannot seem to find healing for, when you're in that place of longing for something good that isn't yet happening, like longing to be married but you're still single, or longing for your children to come home but they continue to run, when you're in that place of long-suffering, what do you do? And to get here, we're going to look at a really important death that we find in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 23. It's an important death that's so important, it's given two sentences in the Bible. Super important. Genesis chapter 23. If you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 21. Uh, If you're sitting upstairs, the Blue Bibles are not in the chairs, but along the walls, you're welcome to grab one. Page 21, Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. In case you're not familiar with the story, Abraham and Sarah were God's chosen individuals who God spoke to them at one point years prior and said, go from the land that you're now living in to the land I will show you. And they left their family, they left their land, they left their heritage behind, and they moved in faith believing God would provide as He said. And in their old age, they were childless. In their old age, they had no children, and God promised that their descendants would be more numerous than the stars. I don't know how much you know about biology, but it's hard to have descendants if you don't have at least one child. And so, in their old age, there was this long-awaited pain of being childless. Now, before we get into that promise God made of their descendants... There's something that happens right before this that I think is worth us reading as well. In chapter 22, the immediate chapter prior, in chapter 22, what happens in the story is that child they had been promised is finally born, and at the age of 13, God says to Abraham, I want you to put your child to death. Like the promises I've given to you, go and kill it. And so Abraham goes up on the mountain with Isaac, and he prepares to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac's like, hey, Dad, uh, we have all this wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham just nonchalantly is like, don't worry, God will provide. And I just wonder what the conversation coming down the mountain was like after Abraham tied Isaac to the altar and prepared to kill him, and then God intervened only in that last moment. The story previous to this, before her death, is the attempted sacrifice And the rescued sacrifice where God stopped him at just the right time. And there's this little verse that happens towards the end of 22. 
verse 20. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Peldash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remuah, bore Tabah, Gaham, and Tahash, and Makkah. Random little verse right before the death of Sarah. Why? Well, it's quite simple. First and foremost, in those days, you did not leave your home. You stayed with your family because your family was your livelihood. So for Abraham and Sarah to pack up and leave their family was a remarkable thing. And then after that, if you were traveling and you were abroad and you were to die, it was expected that either immediately or over time, your body would be returned to your homeland, would be taken back to be buried with your people so that all generations and all time can come and see where you were buried and remember you and your legacy. So right before the death of Sarah is mentioned that Abraham's brother and his homeland had all of these children. Why? Because for you and I as the reader, when we hear that Sarah had died, we should expect Abraham to do what everyone else would do. To return to his homeland to bury his wife there with his ancestors so that his future family would know where she came from and who she was a part of. That's not what happens. We'll continue on. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Now, at first glance, this sounds really kind. Here is a man who is grieving. His wife of 127 years has died. And I stress 127 years for this reason. Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that it tells us how long she lived. We get a whole bunch of men throughout Scripture. It says, live so long, and then they died. But only Sarah do we know this is the the length of her life. And I think that's really important. Because Abraham had lived with her for 90 years before they ever had a child. Their son he had attempted to sacrifice is now 37 years old. They've had a long life together. We don't know how she died, if it was sudden or if he watched her slowly fade away. It just records that she died after 127 years. Recently, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who in December lost his wife of 40 years. And in talking to him, I just said, how are you doing? He said, I, I really don't know. And I could tell in my conversation that it took everything in him to simply get up and show up each day. 
See, when you've been together with somebody for a long time, whether their death is sudden or drawn out, whether it's a parent or a loved one, a spouse specifically, whoever that may be, when you watch death happen to somebody you care deeply about, it's like a part of you is missing forevermore. Sarah was 127 years, and when she dies, Abraham goes to the locals and says, give me some land that I can bury my wife. And they respond in what appears to be kindness. We'll give you some land, absolutely. And yet, the culture of the time was such that this is more of a passive thing than an actual genuine kindness. Almost an obligatory, yeah, we have to say we'll give you something, so we'll, we'll give you something knowing you're going to turn it down. Because to be given the land would obligate Abraham to them forevermore. Functionally, if we offer this and you take it, now you have to do what we say and abide by our laws and follow our practices. That's the way this works. So there wasn't any chance Abraham was going to take what they offered. Continues. Abraham rose and bowed, down to, or bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Abraham turns down the free gift so that he's no longer obligated to them, but it says instead, there's a specific cave I would love to bury her in. Sell it to me for the full price. Now, the owner of the cave could have sold just the cave, but instead, as we find out, he sells the entire field. And I'll tell you why here in a moment. Now, Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. In a very passive sort of way, he says, Look, who cares if it's worth 400 shekels of silver? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. What is that? And I, I like the way he writes it here. Moses writes this story. As if Ephron's being very kind and generous. Have you ever negotiated with somebody on Facebook Marketplace? You guys know how that process works, right? You don't start out with the price you actually want to get. Like you begin with a price higher than you know you're going to get because somebody's going to come along and be like, I know you saw that or you said that thing is free, but it's a long drive. Can you give me some gas money too? No, I'm not paying you to take my free thing, Right? And so you know that in the process, in the back and forth, if you start with what you want, you never get it. So you got to start high. So Ephraim just kindly, he's like, I would love to give you the land, but you know the land's worth 400 shekels. What do you think? 
So Abraham, he responds. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field which, or with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites." before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for buying, or for a burying place by the Hittites. We could very easily skip over all of this and say that's a weird story about needing to have a cemetery plot. But there's something so much more going on here. See, Abraham insists that he's not going to be in obligation to these people. He's going to purchase it so that he continue his own customs and practices, specifically those of the Lord and not their customs and practices. And he could have just purchased the cave alone, but instead Ephraim says, how about this field as well? And if you buy the field, you have to pay taxes on the field, not just the cave. And Ephraim's able to just wipe his hands and say, I have no longer any financial obligation to this land that I can't get anything from later. And he just gives it over to Abraham for a price. But here's the thing that I think is worth noting. If you flip back just a few chapters in God's promises, uh, chapter 17, verse 8, God, as he's promising to Abraham and, and Sarah all the blessings, this is what he says. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God has promised this land belonging to the Hittites will one day for all of eternity belong to Abraham and Sarah and their descendants. By the time Abraham eventually dies... The only part of the land of Canaan that belongs to him is not a part that was given to him, but one he purchased to bury his wife. God's promise that it would all be his was never once in his life fulfilled. In fact, nothing was given. He had to pay for it. Why does Moses, as he's writing this story, spend so much time detailing the burial plot and not the death. I believe there's two reasons. First, when death is prolonged, when we see a long life with somebody and sorrow and sickness and pain and suffering is drawn out, there's a reality for every one of us. A reality we in the modern world try to avoid. Death will happen. It's just a matter of time. For Sarah, she had 127 years, most of which were with Abraham. A really, really long time. And Abraham, as the story unfolds, he goes on later to remarry. And yet, at her death, he weeps. It does not matter that we know that death is not the end. 
Oftentimes when people are grieving, we try to comfort them quickly by saying, it's okay, Jesus, He will fix this. Your loved one will rise again. We try to just move on from the pain and the sorrow. And I think it's really, really important whether that grief is prolonged or sudden when it's one who leaves a great hole in our heart that we begin with the real honest assessment that death hurts. And we can stay in that place of death hurting for a while. There's no timeline by which at this point you need to move on and get over it and be fully yourself again. In fact, even as Abraham remarried, he was always missing Sarah. There's a part of him that always was gone because she was no longer with him. When it comes to prolonged sickness and sorrow and death, the only way we learn to grieve is first and foremost being really honest. This hurts. It says that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Elsewhere, we see Jesus going to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead on the verge of bringing him back from the dead. And even in that place, Jesus weeps. Paul weeps. Peter weeps. To grieve is not to deny our hope. Abraham and Sarah believed fully in the promises of God. Promises which they never saw fulfilled in their life. And even in their faith, Abraham wept. When you and I are in the face of grief that seems prolonged, sickness that just will not go away, illness that we will live with the rest of our lives, death that doesn't seem to come fast enough, and then when it gets here, it's too quick and it hurts too much to even acknowledge. We have to begin by recognizing death always comes at an emotional cost. There's a second cost to death. Death will always come with a financial cost. Death will always come with some kind of physical toll that we have to pay. And I'm not just talking about a mortuary industry that makes a lot of money. In fact, last year alone, the mortuary industry in the U.S. made $19.5 billion. I'm not just talking about that kind of cost. No, when you are loving someone as they slowly die, you pour out your time and your energy and your money and everything you have to care for them. And that's okay. Sometimes I think we feel guilty because what if we could have spent a little more? Sometimes we feel guilty because now that they're gone, we've spent all this money and what do we have left to show for it? It didn't work. The treatment didn't bring them back. Now what? When we are dealing with long awaited death and slow and painful sorrow and suffering, it will cost us something. There was an article I had to read when I was in seminary that really stuck with me, in part because the title was awesome, but also because the content was even better. And in this article, the title was, I want to be a burden to my family. And I just had to laugh at that. My mom's clapping because I already am a burden, she knows. (laughs) But what he went on to write in this article 
was that we have a culture that is so self-oriented, we fear burdening the ones we love. We do everything we can to try to shelter and protect and keep them from pain and sorrow and even death from bearing the financial responsibility of caring for us. But there's a truth in Scripture that we are called to honor our mother and father, our husband, our wife, our children. We are called to honor and love, and love is sacrificial. And there's a reality in Scripture that when we bear one another's burdens, we actually get to partner with them in all the blessings and all the goodness and all the promises God will pour out. And so in our fear when we try to spare our loved ones from becoming a burden, oftentimes we actually prevent them the opportunity to join us in seeing God at work through the sorrow and the darkness and the pain and the suffering. I don't hear me wrong. If you are in a place where you can financially prepare that your family is not struggling later after you die, like that's a good thing. But what if part of our grief is learning to bear one another's burdens fully? And for those of us who've been walking it out for a long time and are weighed down and very heavy laden with this burden, this is where the second big truth of this story, I think, comes in. We have hope that this burden is temporary. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says this, specifically the second half, our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We have hope that Jesus has abolished death and he has brought light or life and immortality to us. And so for now, we grieve deeply. We weep when it hurts. We mourn when we don't know what else to do. We bear the burden emotionally and financially, and it is heavy. But we have hope. And the hope is that just like Sarah and Abraham, though we don't yet see the promises of God fulfilled, He will fulfill them. That we don't yet see all of our hope fulfilled and that death is no more and that sorrow and suffering will still happen. There is a day when this will be no more. And all of your grief one day will cease forevermore. And one day every tear will stop. And death will no longer have any sting. One day. Now, the really neat thing about the story of Sarah and her death, the only land in Canaan that Abraham ever owned in his life, that he had to purchase of his own money, not that was given to him freely. The really cool thing in the story is this is not the end of their story. See, a few hundred years later, after God rescues His people from Egypt, they come back to this tomb and this place. And there they bury Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. In fact, there they bury Jacob and Isaac and Rebekah and Leah, the whole generations, right there in one place. Not in their homeland where they came from, 
but the new land that God was giving to them. The new land He was pouring out, not in Abraham's time, not in Sarah's time, but hundreds of years later in their descendants to come. And this place became a source of peace and hope and joy that through all the pain and all the sorrow, God was faithful to His people. If you are in a place of grieving, a loved one who is slowly dying or who recently died or a sickness that seems to never leave, if you are in this place, let me give you this encouragement. It's okay to hurt. And it's okay to pray fervently that God would change it. And it's okay to pour your hurt out upon others, not hurting them on purpose, but sharing your burden with them and say, I don't know how to get out of bed in the morning. I don't know what to do next. And if somebody shares their burden with you, it's okay to not have answers and to simply say, this hurts. And be present with them. And while we don't have a cave to go back to, and while cemeteries may or may not today bring us the same comfort and peace, we do have a place to go and to sit and to be in our grief. It's here at the foot of the cross, the foot of the place where God Himself bore our pain, took our suffering, entered into death, so that one day, all of His promises may come true. About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity right here to sit with a man who was going through a lot of pain. He had seen a lot of death in his life and was deeply hurting and had no words to say. And neither did I. So we got down on our knees right here and we just stared at this cross. And I said, I'll sit here as long as you want. And we just sat there, mostly in silence, as tears flowed down both of our faces for nearly an hour. And I might not yet be an old man, but these knees are not made for an hour to be on them. And I sat there. And at the end, he wiped his tears away. He said, thank you. That was that, with very few words spoken. You and I don't need a cave to go and grieve our loved ones. We have the cross. So we can take all of that pain and sorrow and burden and be honest and lay it before Jesus. And he'll be enough for one more day. Will you pray with me? God, you have abolished death. And yet for now, death still reigns. You have brought immortality to light. And yet for now, the darkness of death looms overhead. As we persist in our grief, the loneliness and the hurt of those who are gone, the questions of what if or what should we have done differently as we persist in the pain of the things you continue to not provide. Teach us to be honest with our pain. To be okay with weeping and mourning. 
And God, we ask that you would teach us to trust in your promise that maybe tomorrow and maybe the day after and maybe not for another 60 years, but there will come a day when every tear is wiped away as Abraham and Sarah died still having not yet seen your promises come to pass, but they believed. Teach us to believe when we don't know where to turn or how to get through this moment. Teach us to trust that you are faithful and good when everything else is falling apart. May we find our hope at the foot of your cross, there in the presence of God who entered into our suffering to bear our grief and our shame, to bear our burden for us. In that we find comfort. Amen. As we go through this series and we talk about grief and we talk about pain, you're going to hear this from me pretty much every week. If you are bearing the pain and the burden of grief, don't do it alone. Let someone sit beside you and weep with you and grieve with you. Let someone come alongside you not to offer platitudes, but to remind you that even in your loneliness and the hurt, you are not alone. And we will be here however long it takes until Christ brings that healing you need. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Every week we believe that an offering is an opportunity to partner with God in the work that He is doing. Uh, to partner with God and say, hey, we believe that through our finances you can continue to encourage and connect those who are far from you. To show your love to those who need it most right now. And so in this place every week, I encourage if you're somebody who prefers to give physically to uh, place your gift in the black boxes as you exit, either your cash or your check. If you filled out one of those connect cards with a way we can pray with you or we can contact you, uh, you can place that there as well. Today, I want to encourage you to maybe consider something you haven't done before. One of the biggest blessings God has given to us financially as a church is several of you have committed to partnering with us not just once or twice, but in an ongoing basis. And you've done so through reoccurring giving online so that even when you're out of town or you oversleep because it's daylight savings time or you're really busy, you can continue to partner and say, I want to be a blessing with my finances. So for those of you who've done that in the past, thank you. It makes a huge difference in making sure that the lights stay on and the doors stay open. And if you've never considered that before, you can do that at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Whether you give for the first time or the hundredth time, I want you to know this. It does not matter how much you give. We do not give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, every week, you guys text some questions, and I do my best to respond. Now, Emily, what questions came in today? Okay, first, we have one from last week that came, or a couple weeks ago, I think, that we missed. So, 
Uh, this says, is it possible to believe in holistic healing? For example, is it Reiki, crystals, um, or chakras, and still be a Christian? It's possible. <laughs> I would say that we have to be cautious because holistic healing is good. Um, but a lot of things like crystals and these energies, the concepts actually are not found in Scripture. They're found in Eastern theology. They're found in Hinduism and Buddhism and some of these more spiritualism uh, practices that are centered less in Christ and more in connecting to the power of the world. And so while it's possible you can be a Christian and believe in those things, um, I think it's important as Christians that we find all of our power, all of our healing, all of our source of strength, not from the universe, not from the world, but from Christ himself. And so if you can do both, perhaps, I would just say be cautious and consider maybe finding the Holy Spirit to do healing. Because, I mean, we see that happen in Scripture, so, yeah. Interesting. Um, someone said, I love how great thou art. So do I. Yes. Can I say something really fast? You probably will anyway, so go ahead. I am. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Um, my grandpa's name is Arthur, and he always says his favorite hymn is How Great Thou Art. Isn't that great? That's like next level dad joke. Yeah, but then I also have to like really focus on the Lord when I sing it, because otherwise I'm thinking of Arthur. Uh, Arthur Oswald. He's not watching online. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's like 98, isn't he? He is 99, yes. 99. Um, Are they okay. having a baby anytime soon? Uh, ooh, who knows? Power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, okay. The next question is, does the Bible say anything about aliens? If not, what is your take on them from a theological or religious standpoint? To my knowledge, the Bible says nothing about aliens. However, the Bible says nothing about a lot of things, so that doesn't mean they don't exist. I really like the perspective C.S. Lewis offers in his uh, Space Trilogy. If you've ever read it, it's pretty cool. If you've never read it, it's super strange. But he offers this perspective where basically all of the universe is teeming with life. And the reason we on earth can't see all the rest of life is because in our brokenness and our sin, there's almost this veil of darkness that covers us. And so we can't see the life that's happening out there because our sin is keeping us from it. But in his perspective, still, uh, all of Christi Christendom, all of our faith is God is redeeming this creation and you and me, even if there's creatures out there that maybe don't need redemption because they're still perfect. That is so wild. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Next. <laughs> you can ask anything here. I might not have a response, but that one I love. I love that question. Um, okay. No, a comment. Thank you, Adam, for helping me understand the Bible better. It really helps that you put it into the perspective of the time when it was written. You're welcome. I'll keep do doing my best. And so, the follow-up. <laughs> the rock and roll version is on point. Winky fa Okay. Okay. I think that's it. <laughs> I think there's one more question from last week we missed oh, was uh, about like passiveness. I, I don't remember answering that one, but I saw it this week. Okay. Uh, right before that about right. I totally believe you. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Uh, with the story of the, bless you, with the story of the fall in mind, do you think that passiveness as a husband or dominance as a woman is in contrary to God's family order and opens up the family to sin? Yes. 
And I also think dominance as a husband uh, and passiveness as a wife are equally in contrary. If you recall last week, they were made equal, and yet Adam was given a role to lead Eve, and she was given a role to help, not as one who's greater or submissive, but as partners. And so I think God has given us roles to play, and it's dangerous when we try to do it our way. Not dangerous like you might be going to hell dangerous, though that's always possible, but more in the sense of like dangerous in that we just miss out on the fullness of life God has to offer. And so if you're a domineering uh, husband or a passive husband, maybe you should take the stance of how do you lead in love? And Jesus set the example uh, by laying his life down for the sake of those whom he loved. So, Good stuff. Had me real nervous on the first half of that answer. Whew. I'm really good at that. <laughs> I believe that is it. Excellent. Well, every week you're always welcome to text in your questions and I'll do my best to respond. Normally, this is where I would give you a benediction and you would go home. But first, I would like to do something. Natalie, will you come on up here? Uh, I don't get to do this every time, but as often as possible, if I find out that you are moving away and that you are leaving us as a church community, I would like for us to just bless you and send you. Um, So if you know at some point in the future you're moving away, we will be sad and we will miss you. Please let us know so that we can bless you because we believe God brings people in and then sends people out. Natalie has been almost two years, right? Has been here almost two years, has been helping as a building host. So if you have toilet paper when you go to the bathroom, you're welcome. Uh, If you have Bibles in your pews and pens, you're welcome. Um, She served with sound and a few other ways. And she is moving this week back to Austin, Texas, and we will miss her. Uh, So if you have been blessed at all by Natalie's presence in the last uh, two years, take a moment to say goodbye before she leaves or before you leave. Um, I just want to, I'll have you come over here. I know it's awkward in the light in front of everybody. She's also not like a front and stage kind of person, front and center. Um, So I'm just going to pray for you as you go, and then I'm going to give the blessing that is for all of us, but I'm going to direct it to you today, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have brought Natalie into our family and into our community, and we thank you that you are sending her back to Austin. God, we ask you would guide her steps and light her path, that she would know you are the one leading every step of the way. God, in this journey as she goes, may she know that she is loved and supported and sent by a people here who care deeply about her. We thank you for her presence with us and all the joy she brought to us. God, fill her with your strength and your peace and your comfort and your joy that she would know she's walking with you. And now we pray, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. (laughs) Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person Every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., we pray this message has an impact in your life 
or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.